Good afternoon and welcome to the Legal Legal Show. This is your host, Tony Dodds. I'm an attorney here in Lakeland. To call into the show today, the number is 863-682-1430. That's 863-682-1430. To contact me at my office, the number is 863-688-2389. That's 863-688-2389. My office is located at 904 South Missouri Avenue in Lakeland. That's directly behind the Old Southside Dry Cleaners. That's on South Florida Avenue, and if you don't know where that's at, then just drive down South Florida Avenue. You'll find it real easy. It's the building with a bunch of the old funny-type sayings that they put out on a marquee. I'm literally right behind them, and so that's how easy it is to find my office. Today, I thought I would hit something that is topically very current for today. Um, it, I became aware of over the weekend because I'd kind of lost track of it, that they are beginning the Curtis Reeves trial in Pasco County today. And some of you may not know by name who that is, but that's the elderly gentleman uh, that was accused about eight years ago of shooting a guy inside of a movie theater. And it's received a lot of attention in the press. Uh, They're bringing in a whole bunch of jurors this week trying to be able to seat a jury in Pasco County to do the case. Uh, It's my understanding they've, They've summoned an extra 250 jurors uh, during the course of the week, and they're trying to bring in 50 per day, which, folks, I'm very familiar with that courthouse. I used to be a prosecutor in Pasco County from 1988 and 89. Now, that courthouse is a little different now than it used to be, but not a lot. That's a lot of jurors extra to be bringing in each day just to deal with one trial. It's not a courthouse that's huge in size. Uh, And neither is the one over in Newport Ritchie, but the one in Newport Ritchie is quite a bit bigger now than than the one in Dade City. Um, But that's the trial that's going on, and I wanted to talk about the stand-your-ground issues within that trial and kind of give everybody my ultimate theory of what I would do if I was the defense attorney. I'm not the defense attorney involved in it. I've had no involvement with it. Uh, None of the attorneys have asked my opinion whatsoever, and I quite frankly don't care if they do or don't. I'm just here to give you my background and my information of what I think, um, based on what the law is, uh, concerning Stand Your Ground in that particular case and where I believe it will ultimately shake out if it's appropriately presented. But again, I'm not the one dealing with it. to give people the background on it, if you've probably seen some clips on TV, and I've never seen the entirety of the clip uh, dealing with the filming of what uh, the film that they captured from the theater of what happened, all I've seen is the snippets we see on the news, and we know how dangerous that is from lying, relying on the media and law enforcement back in the Rittenhouse matter, because during the trial, we saw a much different presentation of those facts because of much more video being shown. But I'm going to be addressing this today just based on the video that we've seen from the news media clippings. I may do a follow-up on this after the trial once we've actually seen more of the video. Let's see how it goes and see if it's something that's still relevant to even talk about at that point in time. But to give you the background on on this, it was back in 2014. It was literally eight years ago at this point, or seven and a half years ago. Uh, It was in a movie theater. Um, Mr. Reeves was there. 
uh, watching a movie or getting ready to watch a movie. It was during the prelims to the movie that, that this started occurring. It involved a Chad, and I, I want to make sure I sell you his name right, but I'm doing the best I can with this, Chad Olson, but it was spelled O-U-L-S-O-N. Um, and at the time, Curtis Reeves was 72 years of age. He's now 79, coming up on 80, but he was 72 at the time. And Mr. Olson was 43. And that is somewhat relevant to the analysis, and that's why I'm, I'm giving you that perspective of the differences in the age. Uh, we're talking 29 years difference in age. Um, so we've got Mr. Olson, who's deceased now because of the incident. They get into an argument about Mr. Olson's use of his cellular device, whether he was Talking on it, texting on it, I, I don't know. I don't remember all that part of the facts. And that really, other than that's kind of what caused the argument, it really has no relevance to the ultimate outcome. Uh, but he, he wouldn't quit. And Mr. Reeves, who was a retired Tampa police captain, and that is somewhat relevant to the facts of the case because of his background, training, and experience, there's video of him actually going out to the lobby area to try to get somebody to deal with the issue, and apparently no one was available or at least came to talk to him to assist him, so he went back in and sat back down in his seat. Uh, we could say a lot of could-bes, would-bes, and should-bes. I mean, he could have moved his location. Uh, maybe he should have moved, moved his location, but he didn't. He stayed where he'd been at, which was behind Mr. Olson, and uh, again, things escalated. At a point in time in this, Mr. Olson stands up, turns around, and throws his popcorn onto Mr. Reeves. After that happens, Mr. Reeves, and we don't, again don't know what the, the verbal discourse is. I'm sure that'll be part of what's testified to during the course of the trial. Uh, but it's, at that point is when Mr. Reeves then draws his firearm and shoots Mr. Olson, and ultimately it kills him. And a lot of people go, well, that's awful. That shouldn't have happened. And there's no real defense to that. Well, yes, there is. And that's part of what this program's about today is to go in and talk to about that and go back through the Stand Your Ground law, which was enacted in 2005. So it is something that had been in existence for about nine years at that point in time. And, and talk about the issues related to the Stand Your Ground law and and just to give you the background on this, before 2005, we were dictated by the common law in the state of Florida, which would have given people a duty to retreat before they could try to do something like this. That was eliminated by the Stand Your Ground law that was cha uh, changed and, and done in 2005 to where that there is no requirement that you retreat, but it still has to be under certain circumstances. And I'm going to go through all of that after the break. You've been listening to Talk Radio 96.7 FM and 1430 AM. Welcome back to the Legal Legal Show. This is your host, Tony Dodds. I'm an attorney here in Lakeland. To call into the show, the number is 863-682-1430. That's 863-682-1430. To contact me at my office, the number is 863 863- 688-2389, that's 
again, we're going to kind of go over the stand your ground law and as it applies to the Curtis Reeves case, which is going on, I believe, starting today is what I had been led to believe anyway, uh, with the initial parts of the jury selection going on. And the whole idea behind this is we've a lot of people go, well, he's already had his stand your ground hearing. Okay, in Florida, you get two bites at the apple on stand your ground. You have what we call the factual slash legal aspect that you can do in the form of a motion in front of the judge, which that is what has been done, and then that went up on appeal, and that's part of the reason for some of the delays on all of this, but that was done, went up on appeal, and it's now back for the trial. Um, And what happens there is the judge makes an initial determination as to whether to preclude the charge by law based on the facts through a a preliminary motion that's filed in the form of a motion to dismiss. Uh, And there's usually some testimony taken at that hearing for that judge to be able to make that determination. But we get the second bite of the apple in the form of trying the case. And there is a jury instruction that is given as it would relate to self-defense, which includes the provisions of the Stand Your Ground law from 2005. That way, the jury then gets to make what we call the factual determination as it's applied to the law uh, during the course of a trial. And there's, there's been a lot of times where a judge would not grant the motion, but then the jury would hear the testimony and say, hey, this is exactly what we think this should apply to, and therefore we're finding the person not guilty. So defendants, by being able to do it this way under this law, basically gets two shots to do this. And just because a judge rules that they don't find that it meets the criteria doesn't mean that a jury can't do so. So what are we talking about with stand your ground laws? Well, that's under Florida statute 776.012 and 776.013. And basically it sets up that there is no duty to retreat and the person's justified in the deadly use of force if either That person reasonably believes that such force is necessary to prevent imminent death or great bodily harm to himself or herself or another, or to prevent the imminent commission of a forcible felony, or they can use deadly force in a dwelling or residence in which the person has a right to be and believes necessary to prevent the imminent death or great bodily harm or imminent commission of a forcible felony. Uh, in other words, under the second provision, there's a presumption to have a reasonable fear if in the process of or had an unlawfully and forcibly entered dwelling, residence, or occupied vehicle. Now, let me kind of dummy that down because it took me a little while to wrap my head around all of that. The second part of this, meaning the part two that I, I announced, only applies for dwellings, residences, or occupied vehicles, meaning if I'm in my car in my house, or I say I was in even a motel room. Technically, that's a, a, temp- a temporary residence for me if I'm at a motel room and somebody comes bouncing through the door on me. I, I have a reasonable uh, a presumption of a reasonable fear that they're in the process of unlawfully and forcibly uh, doing something to me that shouldn't be done. I'm not going to analyze that part for you today because it doesn't apply. This This occurred in a movie theater. And it was one in which that it's not a dwelling, it's not a residence, and it's certainly not an occupied vehicle. 
So we're really only dealing with the number one aspect of this, and that's the person reasonably believes that such force is necessary to prevent imminent death or great bodily harm to himself or herself or another, or, and this is where I'm going to ultimately focus on some language, to prevent the imminent commission of a forcible felony. Well, then a lot of people go, okay, well, what forcible felony do we have here? This is the movie theater, and one man threw popcorn. We'll call it a bucket of popcorn. I don't know. It could have been a bag for that matter. The guy's 43 years old, and he's there with his wife or girlfriend. I can't remember. I think it was his wife. Probably had a bucket of popcorn between the two of them. If you're going to do it, the better value deal, including the drink, is usually to get the bucket. So let's call it a bucket just for argument's sake. He's throwing his bucket of popcorn on the guy. And a lot of people go, that's not a forcible felony. Well, I'm getting ready to give you an analysis where I think there's a reasonable argument that under the law, it is a forcible felony. A uh, forcible felony in Florida is defined in sta- uh, statute number 776.08. And it's basically where uh, it's defined as being either treason, murder, manslaughter, sexual battery, carjacking, home invasion robbery, robbery, burglary, arson, kidnapping, aggravated assault, aggravated battery, aggravated stalking, aircraft piracy, unlawful throwing, placing, or discharging of a destructive device or bomb, and, and here's the quoted area that I'm focusing on with this, and any other felony which involves the use or threat of physical force or violence against an individual. Well, you're sitting there going, okay, how is throwing popcorn, whether it be buttered or not, on somebody in a movie theater a a felony that involves the use or threat of physical force or violence against any individual? We have in this state a section in our statutes, and it's in Florida Statute 784.08, subsection 2, a statute dealing with battery on a person over 65. It does not require the person committing the offense to know that the person is over 65. So we eliminate that issue out of the, the part of this because you're saying, okay, 72, maybe he didn't know he was 72. doesn't matter. Olson does not need to know that Reeves is 72. It just happens to, all it matters is whether or not Reeves is over 65. And at 72, he would be over 65. If a person commits a battery on a person, and we're talking about a simple battery, and I'll talk about what that is in just a minute. If he commits a battery on a person over 65, it is reclassified from a first-degree misdemeanor to a third-degree felony. Thus, it is a forcible felony if the jury were to find that what Olson did was a battery on a person over 65. Now, are they going to be given a verdict form on Olson? Of course not. He's not charged. But the issue then becomes whether the actions he took were, in fact, a battery on a person over 65. And and. I'm going to give you some other examples of how batteries have been dealt with in Florida when we we want to upgrade something like this. Uh, A lot of people 
don't understand, but some law enforcement officers have to go through a lot in their lives as, as law enforcement officers. And that can include occasionally somebody that thinks they're cute and spits on a cop. You know, a lot of people say, well, it's only a battery if you touch them. No, spitting on somebody is a battery. Throwing something at somebody against their will is a battery because you're still intentionally touching them and it's against their will. And so a, a what would normally be a regular battery of, say, spitting on somebody becomes a felony if it's a law enforcement officer that it happens to because it's a battery on a law enforcement th- officer. This statute defines uh, a battery where the person is over 65 as being reclassified from being a misdemeanor to a felony. I've represented people that have hit people that were over 65. I've had two elderly people before where one hit the other one and he got charged with a felony because he hit somebody over the age of 65. And I've had to explain to them, it doesn't matter that you're also over the age of 65. The issue is whether the person that got hit was over the age of 65. So that becomes a forcible felony under that forcible felony definition. And ultimately, all it takes under 784.03, subsection 1, subsection A, For a simple battery is that a person actually intentionally touches or strikes the other person against the will of that person. Let me kind of dummy that down for myself even because I get to talking and I'll speak myself sometimes. In essence, because Olson, who turned around and committed the first offense out of this by throwing popcorn on Reeves, he has committed, at first, what we would look at as a misdemeanor battery. Because Reeves is over 65, it becomes reclassified under the uh, felony statute, under the enhancement statute of 784.08, as a felony battery. That becomes any other felony which involves the use or threat of physical force or violence against an individual. That's 776.08. It meets the definition of a forcible felony of which he would then be justified in being able to use the stand-your-ground self-defense argument under the jury instruction. Now, I know that's been very confusing. That's why I'm trying to take as much time as I can on this to make it as simple as possible. And after the break, I will try to go back through it one more time to make it make sense. But that's what's going to be required for the defense in this point to be able to get that across to the jury. You've been listening to Talk Radio 96.7 FM and 1430 AM. Good afternoon and welcome back to The Legal Legal Show. This is your host, Tony Dodds. To call in, the number is 863 863- 682-1430 to contact me at the office. The number is 863-688-2389. That's 863-688-2389. We've been talking about the stand your ground issues as it would relate to the Curtis Reeves case. We have a caller. Go ahead, caller. Yes, how are you doing today? I'm good. Yourself? Good. I got a couple little comments. The first little quick one here is a law enforcement prior. Somebody shows popcorn in your face. The next thing they're going to do is pull out a gun and shoot you. <laughs> I, I understand where you're coming from on that because yeah. 
you become a little bit more sensitized as an officer at times, I think, to your surroundings and what's going on and how situations can escalate. So I, I certainly understand that. Yeah, the first thing you do is have you a drink or popcorn in your face, you go for your gun. <laughs> yeah, it's one of their distraction measures to try to be oh, able to gain an advantage. Oh, yes, I think that guy in the theater, he got uh, convicted. He uh, just reacted out of his uh, training. Uh, he has not been convicted. The trial, that's what we're talking about. That trial oh. is going to be, is starting today. Yeah, well, I hope the lawyer brings that up. <laughs> well, and that's part of what I'm talking about on the show today is what I would do if I was the attorney on it and the fo areas I would focus on now. Not everybody agrees with me on certain things, but I think what I'm trying to present using the statute itself makes it to where the jury would have every justification to find him not guilty of it. Yeah, I believe so too. Uh, the comment I had, I was, I have a uh, behind my fence. I have 25 foot of property that's mine to take care of my fence. Mm -hmm. So I'm walking behind my fence and cleaning it up, and a neighbor who was a renter who just moved in comes out and says. You know, get get off my property, and uh, I said, "Well, this is my property here, 25 foot." He says, "I don't care," and he grabs my phone, twists my hand, and throws it away. Now, I could have very easily taken him out just without anything, because, but I decided I'm not going to fight anybody if I don't have to. But then he says he's going in to get his gun. I said, "Hey, I'm on my legal property. Uh, I have the right to be here." So, well, as soon as he said he's going to get his gun, I called the sheriff, and of course they came down and setting him up straight because that was an assault by grabbing my hand and taking my gun. Oh, yeah. Or my, I, uh, my phone, I mean. And you took the best preemptive measure at the time of calling the sheriff's department rather than letting it get out of hand and going further with it. I, there's no sense in getting to a point where it's actually either physical or you're having to do something to seriously defend yourself. Yeah, I didn't want to hurt the poor guy, you know. No. I mean, I, I'm, I'm in my, getting into 80s, and I've had a lot of martial arts training and been in the military and played so no problem but I did not have my gun with me but I'm just really don't want to hurt anybody or shoot them if I don't have no. to no and and it's hard for us to put ourselves into the same mindset and position of this retired Tampa police captain who's sitting in a movie theater went there with the intent of having a good time to watch the movie and enjoy himself for whatever reason, and we kind of talked about what those reasons were, something escalated with the guy in front of him because the guy wouldn't put his phone up. And God help us, how many times have we all been in a theater and they put that message up there at least a dozen to two dozen times before the movie starts, put your phone down, turn it off, and put it away because we don't want it interrupting the experience for everybody else in the theater. So I understand him being frustrated, him telling the guy or trying to get the guy to quit doing it. Guy wouldn't quit doing it and i hate to use the old motto of you know you play stupid games get stupid prizes he did he played a stupid game by arguing with the old man and then engaging in a fight with a guy that's 29 years older than him yep, definitely and, not a good idea no huh? i mean just if you don't like it he had the opportunity to get up and move as well yeah well uh, i've walked away from a lot of situations that uh only one time, one guy just wouldn't let me alone. He kept following me and harassing me. And he, when he pulled out a knife, uh, it was all over for him. He was on the yeah. ground in three seconds, yeah, crying and, like a baby. <laughs> and you didn't have a choice, though, at that point. No, and I, I did have my weapon with me, but I definitely was not going to shoot anybody. No. And that's where, again, it's hard for us because, again, Reeves was seated, Olsen standing. He whirls around, throws the popcorn on him. We don't know what he would have done next. 
Yeah, um, that's true. Like it, I said, my chief said if they throw a drink in their face or popcorn or something in their face, they're going to either pull a knife out or a gun and shoot you. Yeah, because it's their way of trying to temporarily not only blind but distract you from what's going on so that they can use it as a diversion to do something else. And, of course, if you're a police officer and you shoot the guy, then you know what's going to happen to you. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. An armed person, you shot him just because he threw popcorn in your face, you know. But that's why I was going through not only the mindset of the people but also trying to hit the, the statutory provisions because if you're over 65 in Florida and somebody commits a battery on you, that becomes a felony battery. Oh, he had a couple of years under me, but not much. Yeah, but I, <laughs> but I, and so I, I get feel you. sorry for this Kim Potter policeman that she may have made a mistake, but I've been in a situation like that in the combat, and instead of pulling a trigger, I put my safety on. Yeah. Had one second to decide what to do, and, you know, bad situation. I think she probably saved the lives of her fellow officers if that guy would have had a gun. I, I totally agree. So. Yeah. Okay, thanks a lot. Thank you for calling in. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. So now, folks, you've even actually heard it from a former law enforcement, a person that was in law enforcement. Either they do receive some training about how to deal with things from their own, own standpoint, and there's training from both sides of that. There's training in how to de-escalate a situation, but there's also the training they receive as to what could possibly happen to them if somebody is doing a diversionary tactic. And that has to be taken into consideration, uh, at least it should be taken into consideration by whatever defense his defense team puts on uh, to try to stress to the jury that in both opening statement and in closing arguments uh, and bring it out through testimony, what was going through his mind as an older gentleman, in city, retired police captain sitting, sitting in a, a theater and, and well, hoping to be able to enjoy a movie when a guy gets out of control himself, turns around and throws this at him. Um, I even had a text a little bit ago from somebody, and eh, what if he'd had a popcorn allergy? Well, then it is definitely an issue about what could have happened to him. And we can speculate on stuff like that, and he obviously didn't have one or it would have been a problem. But the, the long and the short of it is is the simple fact of the person throwing the popcorn created a battery that, therefore, because Mr. Reeves, the person who did the shooting part, was over the age of 65, makes it a battery that was a felony being committed against him. That becomes a forcible felony under the statute, which, uh, and I say under the statute, both under the forcible felony statute and under the standard ground law. And under the standard ground law, it's talking about imminent death or great bodily harm to himself or herself or another, or to prevent the imminent commission of a forcible felony. It had actually been committed. So I that's the argument that needs to be put forth. It needs to be drawn onto a, a blackboard-type situation. I'll use blackboard because we all grew up even in time when blackboards were out there, but a lot of times in courtrooms now we have these huge, and I say huge, large white uh, stands that we can put up with paper on it using magic markers and literally draw it out for everybody so they can understand and connect the dots uh, to kind of make it simpler for everybody to walk through the process of how this applies to the stand your ground law. Now, do we like the fact that somebody got shot in a theater over a movie, over talking on their cell phone? No. 
Um, you know, we can say, and there's, I say we, I'm not going to say it, but there's a lot of people that say, well, this is an abuse of the stand your ground law. I, I'm not going to say that I agree with you because, again, it's hard to get into the mind of a guy that's 72, that's seated there, that's been retired, that's trying to enjoy himself, and he has somebody that's 29 years younger than him who ultimately initiates the physicality of the situation, the physicality being throwing popcorn into him or at him. And we can all say, well, it's only popcorn, that we don't know what was coming next, nor did Mr. Reeves know what was coming next. And as a result, that's where the problem lies as it would relate to the state's case on this. Uh, they've got the aspect of having somebody that's dead uh, over something as simple as being an argument in a movie theater, uh, and they, that's what they're going to try to highlight and try to shift the focus away from the actual defense part of it. The defense has got to focus on that defense and the mindset of Mr. Reeves and present him in that kind of fashion. Uh, it, it's been eight years that this thing's been pending. It's not all the defense's problem on this. There's been changes in judges, changes in prosecutors. COVID hit and shut the court system down for about a year. There's been a lot of reasons this thing's been delayed. So uh, it, that's the, the overall analysis I have is that if the defense does its job, well, I'll tell you that after the break. You've been listening to Talk Radio 96.7 FM and 1430 AM. Welcome back to the Legal Legal Show. This is your host, Tony Dodds. To call into the show, the number is 863-682-1430. To call me at my office, the number is 863-688-2389. That's 863-688-2389. We've been talking about the Stand Your Ground issues as it would relate to the Curtis Reeves case. I think this case is going to take two or three weeks for them to get it tried. I'm, I'm guessing because I don't know all the numbers of witnesses that they're planning on calling on it. Um, I know that they've planned for the whole week for just for the jury selection process. I mean, theoretically, they could get done with that in a two- or three-day period, but I understand what the scheduling issue is on it, that they've done it for the whole week. And then depending on how long the state's case would take, it could take anywhere from a week to get it done and then two or three days for the defense. It just kind of depends on how many witnesses that they're planning on calling. So, you know, I may revisit this once the verdict's in and see what I think was done right, wrong, and in between we'll just kind of play it by ear. May not have to. May not be any reason to. It just kind of depends on how things go. Uh, but the whole idea was to give everybody my thoughts, and ultimately if it's argued correctly based on the actual laws that exist uh, on the books in Florida, then he should be found not guilty based on the analysis that I provided to you during the course of the show. And so using that, that's my speculative but informed and educated background as it would relate to these types of cases as to what should happen with it. The problem we have is, and it's not a problem, it's part of the jury system. We never know what group of jurors we're going to ultimately have come down for jury duty and who will end up getting selected. Uh, both from the defense and the state point of view, we try to do the best we can to get an impartial jury. It's very hard when a case has had this much, pu this much publicity, especially for this long. Um, but it's it, it, there's still a very good chance they'll get a very impartial jury. 
But even when we talk about an impartial jury, it's hard to say what the mindset of each individual juror will be concerning whether they believe this fits that definition and making sure that they're going to follow the law on what this is. They could just say, we don't find it to be something that he should have done under the circumstances. Is that following the law? Not really. But that doesn't mean that they can't still find that way because that's what their role is as the jury. They are instructed to follow the law, and that's part of the actual jury instructions. But I know I'm not going to tell you that it always necessarily holds true or follows through because they come with some they have some of their emotions sometimes play into the ultimate verdict that they give on something like this. Uh, yes, caller, go ahead. Yes, uh, I'm the same age as the uh, captain, uh, 79, and in 78, the year, I got arrested for shooting a guy in a bar uh, who had attacked me. Now, I was armed and he wasn't. Okay. And they ended up uh, giving me 15 days. I traded my one felony, the cops were real nice to me, uh, for two misdemeanors. Okay. But during the proceedings, the prosecutor said out loud to the court that I had acted in self-defense. And when I kind of looked at my lawyer and said, you know, whoa, he kind of said, you know, shut up. I guess he figured I'd get a good deal. So well, I shut up. What were the misdemeanors, if you don't mind me asking? I'm not, I'm not trying to pry. No, no, no. Uh, display of a firearm and okay. culpable, culpable negligence. Okay. Um, this was 78. Yeah. And the, and the laws were different on self-defense at that point, too. I'm going to tell you yeah, that. They didn't, they didn't have stand your ground. No. Uh, that was still under the old common law, and there was duties to retreat. So I'm going to tell you that under the circumstances, I'm not so sure your your defense attorney didn't do exactly what he should do with it. It's to try to get you to take those because it, it technically didn't involve the actual shooting itself. You were able to keep your civil rights that way. Um, you kind of got the bird in the hand versus the two in the bush, if that makes any sense. Well, it does, sort of. I worked for the county at the time, and it was Christmas time. I get paid for the whole 15 days. Oh, perfect. So you got a paid vacation at the Polk County Hilton. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm being facetious with that. It's, it's I know, the, I know. It's not the Polk County Hilton, but, you know, I'm sure the food may have actually been better back then than it is now. Uh, Probably not, but, uh, you know. You might be surprised how bad it is now. Um, I'm, I'm wondering about the captain in the movie theater. Was it dark? Nobody ever mentions that, whether the, you know, what was going on. And that is a good question. From the video I have seen, and again, I we're only getting very small snippets. I'm sure there's going to be more that will be played during the course of the trial. It looks like it's dark. You can barely yeah. make out what's going on on the video. And that goes in the captain's favor big time. Oh, absolutely especially when you've got a younger male active acting in an aggressive fashion towards him. So yeah. I, I agree with you totally. It does go to his favor on something like that. He's still seated, the other gentleman standing, too. And, yeah. you know, that puts you at a, a disadvantage when you're dealing with a potentially violent situation. 
and you, like you said earlier, the popcorn might have been a distraction for something else. Well, it, it very much could have been, and it, it, but whether it was or not, it still hit him. That becomes a battery at that point. Now, and, getting back back to me, like you said, I got my rights and all that sort of stuff. But uh, since he said I acted in self-defense, can I go back? You know, can I get a lawyer? And, and can not I? Not at this point. You're. You said that was in 1978. That's 40, yeah. That's 43 years ago. There's no yeah. way. Uh, yeah, that's not going to happen. Uh, okay. Well, I just was hoping. Oh yeah, I know. And and you know, I, I wouldn't um, worry about it at this point. Is what I'm trying to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I wish the captain well. And, we'll have to wait and see. Well, and I will we'll certainly know probably in a couple of weeks, I would think. So Okay. Thank you. Thank you for calling in. Well anyway, folks, and that you're getting the viewpoint of a seventy nine year old who's exactly that age of the captain now who's seventy nine. He would have been seventy two at the same time this captain was seventy two. Um it'll be interesting to see if that's the type of juror that they find up in that area. Uh, it'll be from the eastern side of Pasco County and having practiced up in that area, there are a lot of older folks that live in that area. It's a little bit different demographic now than it was when I was up there as a prosecutor because of the influx of northern um, relocating people that live in that area now. An update I wanted to give you as it would relate to our wonderful Florida Department of Agriculture as it would relate to conceal weapons licenses. As most of you are aware, Nikki Freed is our commissioner for the Florida Department of Agriculture. She was elected at the last election. I will comment, yes, she is a Democrat. She has announced her intentions, and she is running against Governor DeSantis for governor this year. Uh, she and Charlie Crist are both running on the Democrat ticket. Uh, We'll see which one of them gets the nod to be able to go against DeSantis later in the year. But I wanted to give you an update. As everybody understands with the red flag law, once a judge has issued a temporary order, that works to suspend a person's um, concealed weapons license until there's a final hearing. And at the final hearing, if it's not granted, then they're supposed to get the license back. Uh, If there is no temporary order issued but just a hearing date set, and judges have that option to where they don't have to grant a temporary order uh, of of concerning the red flag law to pick up their guns and to suspend that permit, then the permits are not supposed to be suspended. Well, guess what? The Department of Agriculture has issued a notice to the police departments wanting copies of their petitions on all of the cases They are sending out notices of suspension on all of them, even the ones where the judges have not found probable cause in order to issue a temporary order. That, folks, is a violation of due process in this state. I became aware of that this morning through a fellow attorney in the area who brought it to my attention. He's having to deal with it with one of his clients, and I suggested that he provide that information to not only Governor DeSantis' office or the general counsel for Governor DeSantis, but to also send it to the attorney general's office, which is Ashley Moody, for them to be able to evaluate to see what kind of laws Nikki Freed in the running of the Department of Agriculture may have violated 
She is certainly causing a problem in the effective use of the red flag law because it was never intended to take people's rights away from them or their licenses when probable cause was not even found to begin with uh, to issue an order to take their firearms and license. So she's taking it upon herself to do it when a judge doesn't. And that is not the intent, nor is there any provision that authorizes doing that. And so I, I didn't want to talk about who the attorney was or their case because it is an ongoing active situation, but it is an absolute abuse of discretion and an abuse of the power of the office. It has been a pleasure talking to you today, and I look forward to talking to you again on The Legal Legal Show. This is your host, Tony Dodds, and we'll be talking to you next week, but here in a few, probably two weeks out, I'll be back again.